In the words of religious science founder Dr. Ernest Holmes in The Science of Mind on page 25, he says, freedom is the birthright of every living soul. Our inherent nature is forever seeking to express itself in terms of freedom. We do well to listen to this inner voice, for it tells us of a life wonderful in its scope, of a love beyond our fondest dreams, and of a freedom which the soul craves. Those words... They'll serve as our foundation this month as we apply the freedom factor each Sunday in a different way and to different aspects of our lives. I thought it was only appropriate that we kick off this series about freedom on the day before we celebrate the independence and freedom of the United States of America. So today, we're going to explore freedom to stand Now, if you read that title on the website or in your bulletin, or on the signboard, you may have thought there was an error. The title seems kind of incomplete, right? Freedom to stand for what? In what is lovingly referred to as the Sermon by the Sea, given at Asilomar in 1959, Ernest Holmes said, Find me one person who is for something and against nothing, who is redeemed enough not to condemn others out of the burden of his soul. And I will find another Savior, another Jesus, and an exalted human being. Find me one person who is for something and against nothing. And we talked about this already. In today's world, there are just so many things that we can stand against, right? Especially right now. There's corporate greed. Takes the form of skyrocketing prices and inflation rates. There's this one I have trouble with. It's people who wield their beliefs as a weapon to justify violence. Politicians who politicians, or closer to home, a neighbor we just can't get along with, a co-worker that drives us nuts, or a family member or friend who is completely making wrong decisions, in our opinion. And that's important, that caveat, in our opinion. But you get my drift, right? We may be tempted to stand against Half a dozen things even before breakfast, especially if we watch the news. But today, I'd like us to at least begin to take our places among those exalted human beings as we realize that we have the freedom to stand for rather than against. Do you feel the energetic difference in those statements? Freedom to stand for. Mother Teresa gives us a wonderful example of this when she was asked to attend an anti-war rally. And for anyone who's not familiar, familiar, familiar with kind of the chronology and her timeline, a lot of the work she was doing was during the Vietnam War. 
So when they asked her to attend, she said, no, I won't attend an anti-war rally. But when you have a peace rally, let me know. I'll be there. See? Just the wording. And that's a really tall order in our human experience, isn't it? Being for something? Holmes clearly acknowledged that when he said, find me that one person and I will have found another savior. That's really significant, right? So he acknowledged and I acknowledge that this is a tall order, but it's not an impossible order. So I want to take us on a little exploration to unpack what, um, what it's going to take to have freedom to stand for rather than against, okay? Now, Holmes gives us really deep insight in the words that follow, find me one person who was for something and against nothing. And that's when he writes, who is redeemed enough not to condemn others out of the burden of his soul. Therein lies the key. Who is redeemed enough not to condemn others out of the burden of his or her soul. So what does that statement mean, really? Again, we're going to unpack it. So what does redemption mean? We've all heard the word thrown around, and it can be intimidating. Theologically, it means to be saved from a state of sinfulness and its consequences. Now, our traditional Christian friends have a certain way that they look at being saved from a state of sinfulness. And we have a different one. Here's ours. And first, we have to look at the Old English literal translation of sin and sinfulness. And yes, my inner logophile, my word lover, came out to play here. I had a field day. So the Old English word sin, spelled S-Y-N-N, as a noun, it originally meant wrongdoing, injury, mischief, enmity, feud, offense, misdeed, and guilt. Now those were some interesting tidbits to uncover, that both enmity, enmity is the state of being actively opposed to or hostile to someone or something, something which is popularly referred to as righteous indignation. Heard that? Yeah. Guilt. Guilt, too, was a synonym for sin. Isn't that interesting? So when we own it, it's still a sin. I thought that was fascinating. Now, as a verb, sin appeared as syngian, S-Y-N-G-I-A-N. It means, very simply, to transgress or err. So we define sin as a mistake, an error in thinking. And I found it especially interesting. This is how my brain works. As I was researching this, I found it really interesting to note that the King James Bible was written in Old English. And the King James Bible 
is the one that most of the other English biblical translations were based on. They tried to make the language more current from generation from generation, from iteration to iteration. So folks changed the meaning of that word, sin, so it seems so much bigger and insurmountable than it probably was intended to be when it started out, right? So it seems to me that what those other translations were missing was someone who has an inner logophile in their head, like me, who would say, pardon me, but that's not what that says. I thought that was kind of cool, but this is the kind of thinking that goes on in my head when my word nerd takes over. So let's get back to the point. The bottom line is that to sin is to err. Or in archery terms, to miss the mark. Or in more modern terms, to have an oops moment. That can be a big oops or a small oops, but it's an oops moment. So when we engage in erroneous thinking, when we miss the mark and we cry, oops, the impersonal action of the law, which is the divine nature of cause and effect, brings forth the resultant consequences. We believe that we are not punished for our sins, but by them. It is a natural consequence. That's where we get that part. So to be redeemed or saved from sinfulness and its consequences, we must change our erroneous thinking. And then we have to ask, what is erroneous thinking, right? And there are lots of things that could be said about this, but I shut it down and didn't do it. So it really boils down to one thing. And that one thing has three parts. So I narrowed it down a little bit. The one thing is that erroneous thinking is when we forget that everything Everything is God. Okay? We forget that everything is God. And the three parts are first, I think I am separate from God. Second, I think you are separate from God. And third, and this is the one that gets us in some big trouble, I think that we are separate from each other. So when we engage in this erroneous thinking, it is very, very, very easy to find fault with the world, to stand against just about anything. But when we shift, when we change, adjust, realign this error in thinking, when we are redeemed from it, then we see God's wholeness at work in the universe. We see and know God's wholeness in, through, and as us, and we see God's wholeness in one another. We see our unity with life, with all life. In the Science of Mind on page 481, Holmes says, true liberty comes through true harmony. True harmony comes only through true unity. And true unity can come only through the conscious realization that we are one with God. 
or good. I sat down to do a final edit of this yesterday. And as I'm reading along, I got to all the word nerd part, right? And that woke up the word nerd, who then took the liberty of awakening the theology nerd that also lives in my head. And so I got to thinking. I got to thinking about the many ways that that concept of oneness with God is said throughout the faiths. It is all over the Bible, but I did limit it, so be grateful. For example, you have 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Or this from Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Or again, 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's a big one, right? And then there's this from the Bhagavad Gita. That's one of the influential texts or Vedas in Hinduism. This is verse 21. There is no possibility of anything in the universe, a sun, a star, or you and me, existing separately. Each part derives its significance from the whole, which is what the mystics call the indivisible unity underlying all life. And this concept is all over the Hindu Rig Veda, which is largely considered the oldest example of continual sacred writings outside of those found in ancient Egyptian relics. And how about from our Muslim friends? People keep trying to say that they're all full of vitriol, right? In the Quran, chapter 3, verse 103 says, And hold fast to the rope of God all together and be not divided. And the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu says, By being impartial, we become one with heaven. By becoming one with heaven, we become one with Tao. And while we're digging here, how about 3,000 years ago from the I Ching? In order to find one's place in the infinity of being, one must be able both to separate and to unite. It's such a simple concept, right? It's been taught throughout thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and it's something that we really seem to struggle with in our human experience, right? I found a beautiful and more kind of immediately relatable example of this recently. On the heels of 9-11, Dr. Cheryl Sawyer wrote this poem entitled The Power of One. As the soot and dirt and ash rained down, we became one color. As the firefighters and police officers fought their way into the inferno, we became one gender. As we carried each other down the stairs of the burning buildings, we became one class. As we whispered or shouted words of comfort and encouragement, we spoke 
one language, as we shared our talents and resources to find the lost, care for the wounded, and comfort the grief-stricken, we became one generation. As we lit candles of waiting and hope, we became one family. As we fell to our knees in prayer for strength, we became one faith. As we gave our blood in lines a mile long, we became one body. As we watched the images and stories unfold on television, we became one consciousness. As we mourned and cried together, we became one soul. As we proudly told and retold the stories of the sacrifice and courage of heroes, we became one people. We are one color, one gender, one class, one language, one generation, one family, one faith, one body, one consciousness, one soul, one people. We are united. We are America. We are the world. We are the power of one. That's big. Oof. And I didn't cry through it. Are you proud? What did Ernest Holmes say? Find me one person who believes and lives this. And I will find another savior, another Jesus, and an exalted human being who has found the freedom to stand for something and against nothing. In just a moment, I want us to give some personal reflective thought to this. Where in our lives are we standing against something? And how can we shift our perception to one of oneness? and wholeness, and unity, to connection, and harmony. How can we shift our perception to stand for something instead? And I want to offer some help in choosing those areas by concluding in a bit of a different way this morning. This is all about choosing to stand for things, and it may offer you some incredible insights. It's a series of affirmations entitled A New Pledge, written and spoken by religious science singer and songwriter and minister David Alt. And there's a laminated copy of it in your program. It's front and back because there's a lot of words. But if those words resonate with you, make them your pledge. Make them what you freely choose to stand for as well. And while you listen to this, really look within. Touch into your own heart. See where in your life, where in our world, in what ways are you willing to be the embodiment of the divine and stand for something? I pledge allegiance to breaking the self-imposed barriers of my humanness. I recognize that my time on this planet is precious and limited. Every day is a canvas on which I can create. Every day is an opportunity for me to move in the direction of the dreams and the expanded vision I feel inside. By setting aside petty grievances, past mistakes, righteous anger and my broken story, I pledge to move forward and embrace the experience of freedom 
right here and right now. I pledge allegiance to the expression of my spiritual honesty. I fully own the fact that my presence here in this body and on this earth is a celebration of uniqueness and importance. Creation makes no mistakes. I am a creation of life, of a higher power, of perfection. My reason for being here matters in the grand divine plan. I must be honest with my contract of life and walk the path of my destiny with conviction, purpose, and grace. I pledge allegiance to the quiet soldier within. I understand that the championing spirit that is already cellularly alive inside of me, that was already in place at the time of my birth, waits patiently for my current belief about myself to join it in its knowing. I march forward towards a history of my own making, wisely, lovingly choosing the means by which I spread my beliefs and convictions. I never make others wrong for their chosen path, for I recognize the innumerable roads that lead to the one. I pledge allegiance to a partnership with divinity. I choose to see others and myself from eyes that already view the wholeness and perfection within. I do not entertain our past damage or encourage us to identify with it, for I trust that a grander calling card has been printed for us to distribute in promoting our lives. I champion all of us to celebrate what is working rather than what isn't. I pledge allegiance to wise discernment, knowing when to speak and when to remain quiet, knowing when to comfort and when to leave alone, knowing when to intervene and when to avoid rescuing and interfering. I pledge allegiance to people and projects of substance. I cannot travel this road alone. If there is anything we need as a species, it is each other. I actively choose to support those whose work I believe in with my time, talent, and treasure. I joyously give to those whose intention and purpose is for self-empowerment and the awakening of humanity to its personal magnificence. I rally to make others aware of such light bearers and do what I can to support them in furthering their vision. I pledge allegiance to the freedom from comparison. I once and for all lay down my wearisome, stale beliefs of unworthiness and not being good enough. I know that my past does not define who I am. I am forever evolving, growing, and learning. I recognize that I am a marvel. I now choose opportunities to let my voice be heard to let my light shatter the darkness of futility so that every personal dream is explored. I pledge allegiance in knowing that things are not always as they seem. Just because something can't be seen with the physical eye or rationalized by our current mode of understanding does not negate its existence. Understanding the difference between reality 
and illusion. I move into a fuller acceptance of the non-physical, the mystical, intuitive, soul aspect of living that expands my consciousness and deepens my days. I pledge allegiance to actions that fulfill the greatest good for all. By becoming a gatekeeper of compassion, tolerance, and love, I move into a fuller conviction of pure intent with regard to the words that I speak and the choices that I make. I pursue a win-win in all activities of life. I pledge allegiance to those who have gone before me, the ancestral lineage whose courage, sacrifice, and conviction still live in my bones. I honor the privileges given to me today because of the sweat from their pioneering efforts and the fortitude of their convictions. I give thanks for my responsibility in creating the same for future generations. I pledge allegiance to a love that has no agenda. I no longer choose to give for what I might get, to manipulate in order to control, to abandon before I can be abandoned, to tolerate because there are seemingly no other options. I choose to love as a way of being. I am content in my choice whether outside circumstances respond or not. In being love, I create fulfillment above and beyond what the human condition can provide. I pledge allegiance to the sacredness of laughter, knowing that the greatest healing force that exists reverberates from the vibration of this holy and irreplaceable gift. I allow humor, joy, and eruptions of laughter to make their home in my heart. I let my physical body respond to the sacred stimulus and biological wonder that laughter creates and vow to keep this attribute alive and thriving all the days of my life. <laughs>